Hello and welcome to Dr. Fitness USA, the show. Exercise is medicine, strength training is stronger medicine. With your host, Batista Grimaud and myself, Stephen Hersey, a.k.a. Dr. Fitness USA. Today, we are so honored to have as our guest, Joy Cooper. She has an amazing story. Joy Cooper is a number one best-selling author, keynote speaker, operations manager for United Airlines with a master's in aeronautics and a pilot. Her story was featured in CBS TV and she has been interviewed on top rated podcasts. Joy shares her experience as the lone survivor of a fatal plane crash. When others told her she would never walk again, she proved that she would do more than that. She would dance again. The plane crash broke every extremity, threatened to destroy everything she had worked for. Joyce Julie brought her through paralysis, multiple surgeries, and accident investigations. For her, mediocrity is synonymous with failure and limits are something to be redefined and conquered. And today our topic is no challenge too difficult, lessons in resilience from a lone survivor. Welcome, Joy. We're so honored to have you on our show today. Thank you, Batista. I'm so honored to be here. So to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about what brought you to aviation? Uh, aviation has kind of been in my blood since my, my dad was a pilot. And after hearing his stories of what he did and had to go through to get all of his licenses and ratings and the flights that he took, my little brain said, well, the best and smartest and most adventurous people are pilots. And so, of course, I want to be a pilot. And we were also raised with lots of history and documentaries and World War II, World War One, all of the like beginning of aviation introduced and the, the really rapid growth of that. And I thought, yeah, I'll be a fighter pilot because if you're going to be the best of the best, you might as well go for it. Unfortunately, I talked myself out of that or maybe it's fortunately, but I went on the path of becoming a pilot because I wanted to test those skills. I wanted to prove to myself that I had that skill and that ability. And also, I love that adventure, that just rush of taking off and then the freedom of just flying through the air with, well, pretty much no restrictions, but just kind of coasting up there. It's just a whole nother world. It was beautiful. And that got me into where I am now, working almost 10 years with the airlines um, on the ground, I, I didn't do much as a pilot. I found that I actually enjoyed the operational aspect of running an airline and all the tiny little things that go into that to be able to get you to your airport, to your plane, to your destination safely and with all of your luggage, because that's a thing. <laughs> doing all that nitty gritty sort of stuff really is what I enjoy doing, all the small things behind the scenes to make everything else look really good. I, I love that aspect of it. Everything about aviation has always fascinated me. I just, I love it. So Joy, uh, can you uh, relate the story of what happened in Alaska when your plane crashed and you became the sole survivor? 
Yeah. So when I was in flight school, my flight instructor said, look around. One in four of you are going to be in a plane crash and most likely it's going to be fatal. I thought "Ah, he's just trying to get us to study harder. You know, it's just a a ploy, the tactic. And unfortunately, he was correct or very close to correct. I never thought it was going to happen to me. I was on vacation with my best friend and her uncle who lived in Alaska. We were coming back from one of their remote properties. They had owned that property for over 20 years and flown back and forth multiple times a year. So it's very comfortable, normal place. As we were flying back, though, a wildfire that had been about 300 miles to the west of us, the wind apparently had picked up and blown that smoke into one of the valleys that we were going through. So it went from perfectly clear to we couldn't see anything. We couldn't see our hand outside of our face if it was outside the window, of course. And we just kind of sunk down. And I thought, okay, this is fine. Pilot knows what he's doing. You can fly by instruments. What can I do to help? The biggest thing I could do to help is keep my mouth shut because I don't I I don't know how he does things and I don't want to add to his workload. Unfortunately, I didn't really have much of a choice. We were hugging the side of the mountain trying to do a 180 to get out because we were about 2,500 feet in a 5,000 foot mountain pass. So any wrong step was was a goner. But again, he's used to this. We were flying above a highway. It's a normal highway. And we hit turbulence. It popped the plane up. I had my door fly open. I was in the co-pilot seat, the right seat. My door flew open. I grabbed the door, closed it as hard as I possibly could and thought, it's fine. We're going to be in Anchorage in 20 minutes. I can hold a door closed for 20 minutes. If that's the worst we have to do, that's not bad. Unfortunately, the turbulence not only blew my door open, it also pretty much jackknifed us into the mountain. And I didn't realize it at the time. I realized it later. The pilot saw the mountain before I did, and he pulled up on the plane, which pulled us pretty much straight in in an upward spiral. But that plane's not meant to do that. It's not an aerobatic plane. And we stalled and fell out of the sky and slammed nose first into the mountain. I found out I woke up probably shortly after impact. All of the instruments and everything were still coming to a close. And I thought, okay, well, we're back in Anchorage watching We Were Soldiers or some war movie, maybe, because all I could see was dirt and broken glass and twisted metal. And I thought, surely this is a movie. This can't be happening right now. And I started looking around and I realized my best friend in the back was dead and her aunt behind me most likely had also passed away. I yelled at them multiple times and there's no answer. And the pilot was still alive, but in very, very bad shape. So I thought I'm the only one that can get this out of this, right? So I looked around, I figured I'm fine. I don't see any dramatic breaks. I'm sure I broke something, but I can get down the mountain, go to the road, get help, probably still get the pilot out of here. Except for when I raised my arm to open the door, I kind of went up and then my arm went like this. <laughs> and I had almost completely severed my forearm off uh, by holding that door, I believe. It basically almost popped my arm off. But I found that you can still control your nerves by looking at your fingertips. And so I willed my fingertips as I stared at them to climb up the buttons of the dash and around the edge of the windshield so I could get to the windshield frame and pull myself up with the strong part of my arm. And I did that about four times. I could not get out of the plane and realized I was just making myself tired. So I was 
putting forth a lot of work with no reward. And I thought, well, when rescue gets here, I need to be 150% ready to go because it's going to hurt. It's going to be tough. I'm going to need everything. And so I did, you know, what everyone would do. And I took a nap until the guy showed up. So that is how I found myself. Unfortunately, the pilot did not make it. His injuries were far too extensive. The National Guard showed up about probably three and a half to four hours after impact. And National Guard came, the two guys came over. And of course, you know, I'm airline, I'm, we go by checklists and turnovers sort of things. And so I wake up to the sound of a helicopter coming over and I pulled myself up and thought, all right, start to gear up, start to take those deep breaths, be ready to go. And around the corner walked one of the guys from the National Guard and he goes, hi, ma'am, we're from the National Guard. We're here to get you out. And I said, okay, my name is Joy. The two in the back are dead, pilot's severely injured, my arm is broken, I think my wrist is broken, and my legs are trapped. And he looked at me like I had three heads, because he's like, for one, why are you alive? And for another, how are you calm? And for yet another, why are you giving me all of this information? And unfortunately for me, I gave him that information, and then my brain pretty much shut off. I thought I had closed my eyes to get away from the metal sparks that they were cutting the top of the plane off. But apparently the guys told me later I was circling the drain and had moments before they got me to the emergency room before I too would have been gone. Yeah. Well, it sounds like an impossible movie that one would be watching, but the way you explain it, this is reality. It is. You have this incredible spirit. So what follows next is when you actually uh, gain consciousness and you start to realize that uh, something real happened, that you didn't imagine it, what came to your mind? And as it came to your mind, what kept you wanting to keep moving forward instead of going back into a catnap and forgetting that it ever happened? Mm-hmm. You had this positive vision or mindset to keep going and that your reality would certainly change, but in changing, you would become stronger. Right. It it took a little bit of time. I'm overall, as you can probably tell, generally a very positive, bubbly sort of a person. And it took me a while to actually kind of get to the realization of what exactly had happened. So I was kind of in and out of consciousness for the next five days. I was in the ICU. I had multiple surgeries. I found out I had broken my back. My legs weren't trapped. I was paralyzed. And I also had four spinal cord tears. So that's the paralyzation. I had shattered both of my legs. My left ankle was so bad, they almost had to amputate it. And thankfully, the pulse came back and I got that one back. And the right one was, of course, um, muscle tendon explosions on both. I broke my elbow, obviously. I had punctured a lung broken a rib and I broke my other wrist, except for the only good part was I had like this tiny little scar. That's the only thing I got on my whole face was three staples to the head. So I'm very grateful for that. At least the the moneymaker made it. It was like five days after being in the hospital when I finally woke up out of all that anesthesia, the drugs, the pain and everything and started to realize, okay, what happened? 
what's what's broken, what's fixable, what's not fixable. I've always been under the impression that yes, you could break something, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be completely broken. You can always push a little bit harder. You can always make things work. So I started to realize things. My neurosurgeon would come in and say, well, your back is broken. You are paralyzed. They would always do checks to see if I could feel different things. And I'm like, yes, I can feel that. I just can't move anything. And he said, well, you have four spinal cord tears. The spinal cord tears, it's not a cut. So you're not for sure, for sure paralyzed, but you have about five years to see how much of that's going to come back. And then based on those five years, the first year is a year you're going to get the most nerve nerve sensation, nerve usage back again. So I thought, okay, cool. I got a year. That's fine. And my nurse would come in and he'd be like, okay, what's our goal for today? Thinking pain management or drink a glass of juice. And I said, I'm going to move my toes. And he goes, ah, that's a good one. And I slowly started to realize like my brain was, that's a logical thing I can do. I should be able to move my toes. And I had to realize that, no, I couldn't move my toes, but that didn't make me go, I guess I'm just never going to move my toes again. It was all right, keep at it. Keep working at it. You can feel it. Remember what you did in that plane? Look at your fingers. Move that part of your arm that's almost like completely gone. There's no bones there that are controlling that. That is pure nerve, maybe a few little muscles that are working. Use that same thing. So I stared holes through my toes and tried to get them to move. And then I had to start using different dynamics of things. So I started to move my toes, but I couldn't raise my leg. It was too weak to even lift it against gravity. And so working with physical therapy, trying to get it to go, and she'd, she'd do assisted movement. So I had, you know, 50% gravity versus 100%. And it wasn't working. And so one night I thought, ah, oh, remember physics class? Where if you can go against a plane, it's easier versus straight up and down. And so I was laying on my side with my leg on a pillow and I thought, I wonder if I can do this. And sure enough, I started thinking about moving my leg and was able to like raise that ankle up on the side, you know, in in an angle, probably like a 30, 45 degree angle against that pillow with the assistance. But it was my brain doing it, not my physical therapist doing it. The next day she came in, she goes, all right, let's do these exercises again. Try to wake something up. And my leg moved by itself like a whole inch. And she was just like, oh, you did it. And of course, to me, that was, yes, I can do it. There is muscle control. There is muscle strength. Now all I have to do is recover from the surgery. I have to get those things back again. So it took, I was in the hospital about four months. I still had two or three surgeries after all of that for my left leg that was shattered. I had a huge external fixator on it. I actually currently have one because that surgeon didn't know what he's doing. So three years later, I got another surgery. That's another point. But it took a long time for me to get back up and running. I had to use a walker, a wheelchair, a cane. I had to realize it's not weak to need a wheelchair because my therapist would come in and say, okay, we're going to order this for you. And I'm thinking, I don't need a wheelchair. I'm going to walk. Like my whole hobbies was dancing. I love to go out on Tuesday nights, which I know sound weird, but there was a social dance club that would also do salsa and bachata and merengue. And it was fun and relaxing and peaceful. And that's where I had my outlet. And that's what I love to do. Also like the ballroom style dancing did showcases and freestyles with that. And I thought I'm going to dance again. And you guys are saying I'm barely going to get around in a wheelchair. 
it's not gonna work but then she explained to me like what if you want to go to the mall and spend a long time walking around the mall with your friends or you want to go out somewhere that's going to take a long time the problem with spinal cord injuries is you don't have a lot of endurance and so are you going to just go to one store get tired and leave and all of your friends are going to be bummed that you left and you're going to be bummed that you left when you could just use the tools that god gives you i.e a wheelchair and that's how i finally resigned myself to be like okay this is a tool that i can use it's not a limitation it's not a restriction is a tool that I can use to help me get stronger, to not wear me out. It's not important to be worn out right now. There's other times where it's important to to push and wear myself out, but going to the mall with my friends, not one of them. And it really kind of helped change my mind about limitations and saying, okay, this is something I can do. This is something I shouldn't do. This is something I really need to push to be able to do. New Year's, uh, about a year and a half after the accident, I told myself, the first day of January 2021, I am going to walk with no assistive devices, no cane, no wheelchair, no nothing. And of course, I was working overnights that night. And so it was, I walked in, didn't even take my cane because I'm like, I don't want it. I don't need it. If I have it, I'm not going to use it. And as I was walking back out, I'm thinking, okay, slow, steady steps tiny little steps. Hopefully the wind doesn't blow. If the wind was over 10 knots, it would kind of knock me off kilter. And I was almost to my car and a good friend of mine came up behind me. and was just like, good morning, Joy. And that little jolt, I'm like, almost knocked me over. But it was so funny because he didn't know that that's the first time I never walked with a cane. And I never used handrail, nothing. And it was just such an important moment for me. I I still went back to using the cane after that. I don't use it anymore at all, but I had to use it because every once in a while, I just would feel weak and go, it's not safe. It's not worth it. Use the cane. Other times I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. I can do things. So it, it had to come a lot with recognizing what my body needed, what it could handle and how I could push the limits, but also really respect what my body needed based on where I am currently, not where I was three years ago before the accident, because that person's never going to be around anymore, except for up here. That's an amazing uh, story. And your mindset is terrific. We always say that if the body has a memory of being healthy and strong, and you have already such a mindset from being an athlete or a dancer, I was a dancer, so I know that would have helped you to be where you are today, where not only for the the strength of character to keep going, but also for the remembrance of what you could do that your muscles and your body may remember and want to get back to a healthy state. Do you think there's a connection with that? Dr. Fitness USA's vision is to create a stronger, healthier society of people enjoying vibrant health, unshakable self-confidence, and a sculpted body they'll fall in love with. Our custom-tailored formulas act as the GPS to your ultimate transformation so you can reach your destination faster and safer without injury. The Feminine Body Design Program teaches a woman the art of strength training from a female perspective. 
and helps her achieve the feminine physique she always dreamed of having. The Body Design Formula program teaches men to achieve a sculpted manly physique without injuries. Seniors can tap into the fountain of youth, get a new lease on life, rebuild their strength, and eliminate aches and pains. Those with injuries learn to rehabilitate them, recover mobility, and relieve back, neck, shoulder, and knee pain. Now, with working with Steven, just in, what, four workouts, I think, so far, if that, um, I have no pain in my knees like I used to. Suddenly a quietness in the mind, clarity. I mean, I don't have back pain anymore. It's amazing. It's just really amazing. I'm Bernie Dorman. I'm founder and chairman of CO Space International, and I so endorse Dr. Fitness for leaders that better life. He does the inside and the outside to make sure you're the best leader you can ever be. And yesterday was already too late to say yes. If your mind can conceive it and your heart can believe it, then Dr. Fitness USA can help you achieve it. Definitely. I had, so in dancing, like a lot of it is your core and your legs. So the first thing I noticed when I tried to sit up on my own, maybe two weeks after the surgery, two weeks, two weeks after the accident, my back surgery, I couldn't sit up. And I thought, this is dumb. I know I have a really strong core. I know I'm capable of doing these things. And so I had to kind of re-tap back into that again. Like I knew it was there. And I had to practice those things. So the the stance that you have as a ballroom dancer, you know, shoulders back, chest up, core engaged. I started using that to say, okay, well, I can't feel from like mid waist down. I can't feel my hips, which was seriously throwing me off. It's really messing up with my balance. So I started to balance from the top down instead of from the bottom up. And it started helping wake up those muscle memories like you said you definitely have the muscle memory because it didn't take that long to get it back now it took very long for it to lose it when I changed hospitals and they didn't know exactly how to position me but again I was able to rebuild that and get it back to working to where I could focus on those things that I knew were strong now I don't have calves anymore because neither of my ankles bend which is really a bummer because stairs are not fun anymore. But it was also using those muscle memories and spinal cord patients, when you can't use your lower limbs, especially your arms really come into play. And that was something I'd worked with a personal trainer before about strength training. And because I don't, I hate cardio. I would try to run a little bit and get so out of breath and I'd almost pass out. I would get to the, you know, the blackout stage when you're about here and you go, I probably shouldn't do this anymore. So she said, you should do weights instead. So I'm very grateful for that because it really kind of helped at least build and strengthen my upper body to where I'm having to push and scoot my entire body on this tiny little board from my chair to my bed and not fall off. And both of my arms were broken previously, you know, they they were bolted back together. But I was able to rely on those muscles and after a little bit going, okay, it's steady, it's secure. Now use the muscles, get them to work. And it was a lot of, is this safe? Am I hurting something or is it good? And as soon as I decided I'm not hurting anything, I was good to go. I, I would push that limit as far as I knew I wasn't going to cause any damage to any internal hardware or any other problems.
Stephen, uh, from a strength training perspective, I know that when we work with people that have leg injuries, he always takes them back into their body by working the arms. And that's a comment we had between each other after we talked to you that actually you in- intuitively just did what you could. That was great. Stephen, do you have any comments on that? Because that obviously is your expertise. <laughs> well, she took my breath away with that question. So uh, the, the way uh, I would approach the question to you is that the, there's a brain-muscle connection. So being a previous athlete, besides a personal training, 2017, you were involved in the Texas mud races. And when we look at those vicious pictures of the adrenaline and the velocity that you wanted to challenge yourself was sort of spectacular. So in my conversations with Batista, I'm an international body designer, and I'm always explaining to Batista, if somebody was injured, they could actually get back into their body through their arms. And so what was fascinating by your story, you said that you actually pushed with your arms and got out of that wheelchair. And there was a victory smile on my face because it was proving my thought process. So being a serious athlete, even with the strength training, when you wanted to recover and push through all the people that said, no, you can't, did that former mindset or habit-forming lifestyle attribute to your success? Yeah. I had to take responsibility for how far I was going to go. In physical therapy, or I was in inpatient hospital therapy wing, you have to be able to do three hours of therapy a day. And I immediately thought, oh, yeah, I could do three hours of that. That's not much. I mean, some of it's super easy, super relaxing, and actually feels good. Other of it is a little bit more exhausting, but three hours spread throughout a day is nothing. And turned out I was right. Uh, They didn't think I could do three hours because early on I would get very exhausted very quickly due to the high pain meds that I was on. But even the three hours, then they're like, well, you have to do it at least five days a week. I was like, well, what am I going to do on the weekend? Sit in my room and be a bum? Like, And they're like, well, we're here. So if you want to do therapy on the weekend... You know, just let us know. We'll put you down. And so I was like, definitely, I want to do it every single day, even if we have to take some really slow days, depending on pain or whatever else is going on. Then I just I want to be doing something. And then I found out that's, you know, the whole story about learning how to move my foot. I did that in the middle of the night. I couldn't depend on my physical therapist because another thing is your personal trainer or physical therapist is not in your head. Like they can tell you to do these exercises. They can tell you to do these things, but they're not in your body and in your head. And so it's me and you who have to decide this is something I can push. This is something I need to see what I can do and see what I can experiment with. They can give you great tips, amazing tips. I I love my physical therapist. That's probably one of my favorite professions now because I visit them very frequently. But they don't they still don't know like what's inside of you and your your actual makeup. And so I had to make that decision to say, okay, I need to push this. I need to try to do this a little bit more, ask questions, see what I can do, try to find different ways 
to be able to get things done. So do you, it's amazing. So you obviously have an amazing strength of character. Do you think that resilience is something that can be learned? You can. Um, You can learn different things just through practice. And so I found resilience to be kind of one of one of two ways that it comes out. It can be something that is in your character, in who you are, in a long-term sort of a thing. And so when something like a plane crash comes along, it doesn't completely shatter you to the ground because you have that predetermined resilience. But then after that, you still have to come up with in-the-moment resilience. You have to make those immediate decisions, those timely decisions of how am I going to react to this? Am I going to let this get to me? Am I going to respond or react in a way that's going to hurt myself or hurt others? One way I like to say is you can plan for your weaknesses. Because a lot of people want to say, oh, no, I'm not weak. I can't do it. Like, I can do anything. But to be honest, like, none of us are 100% strong all the time, physically, mentally, emotionally. So plan for your weakness. Like I said, right now, I'm in an external fixator because three years ago, the surgeon who fixed my left leg put a rod in it and said, there, you're good. You've got a rod that's securing everything. And a couple months later, or a couple months ago, about two and a half years after that surgery, I found out I broke the rod. Somehow I broke a titanium rod in my leg. It was screwed in with lots of bolts and I had to get surgery again. And so that kind of brought about a whole new type of resilience to where it was, this was supposed to be over and done. I wasn't supposed to have to deal with this again. Maybe 20 years down the road, like I'm expecting other things to happen because that's just the nature of accidents, but not now. So I had to give myself some grace, let myself grieve, be mad and upset at the situation, ball on the side of my bed, and then go, okay, now what am I going to do? I have two weeks until I have surgery, two weeks until I can't walk on that foot at all. And it hurts right now. I could still walk on it. I actually don't know when I broke it. And I kind of attribute that to the spinal cord damage. I probably didn't quite feel when it broke, which meant I was walking around on a broken rod through the mountains of Alaska when I went back to visit them. But I had to kind of come up with what am I going to do with this now? And I ended up going, okay, I learned a lot of stuff about strength and how my body works. And I'm going to practice walking with no weight, practice walking on crutches and see how safe that is. Because my right leg, I wear a, uh, it's called an AFO, an ankle foot orthotic brace. And it's not super steady either. And so how am I going to walk on an unsuper steady leg? And that's going to be my strong leg. So I found ways to work around that, set everything up. I cleaned everything. I had holes in my drywall. So I was climbing up on ladders, fixing my holes on drywall because I thought, yeah, if I fall, it's already broken. Like, what else are they going to do to me? So don't probably take that advice. But I started planning for my future weakness. I knew I was going to have that. I knew I was going to have a problem. And so I let myself have that moment of heartbreak, of despair and depression of, this is coming up again. And I thought I wasn't going to. And then after that, I said, okay, now what are we going to do? What are the steps I'm going to take? And so I think resilience has a lot to do with what you're deciding in the moment. Let yourself grieve. Like we're not tough. We're not big, strong people who never do that, but then take the next steps. Always take the next steps. Great. Did you 
incorporate some type of nutrition in your recovery, like uh, supplements or a certain diet that might help muscle recovery or inflammation or anything? I did do more protein because I know that was a big thing when I was in the hospital. I didn't like to eat. And a lot of times the the drugs and anesthesia that I was on wouldn't let me eat. And this time I went and bought two huge cases of protein. I actually bought myself a mini fridge for my room because I also know that my blood sugar likes to drop and get me really fatigued. And I have no business going down the stairs on one leg when I'm super dizzy from blood sugar. And so I bought a mini fridge and put it in my room and stocked it full of protein shakes and yogurt and uh, vegetables, hummus dip, all sorts of things, cheese sticks, little things that would fit up there that would give me the food and nutrition that I needed until I could get downstairs and get some actual food. And that I think has played a big difference because this surgery has gone so much better. I mean, I've almost completely grown a whole new bone down there. It's, I mean, it looks terrible. It's pretty bad. He had to take a bone chisel to my previous bone to get the rod out. So it's taken a lot to recover, but having that nutrition, having a steady, I need to be on this diet. I need to eat food. I'm not one of these people that loves eating. I love cooking and I love baking, but the eating portion of it is boring for me. So I have to try to encourage myself to be like, okay, get things that you're going to like, that you're going to eat and that are good for you pretty much. Great. Steven, you have a question? Uh, in your recovery process, uh, have you gone back to any type of strength training at all? Not too much, unfortunately. I should have. I did do more arms because, again, my, my legs were the most damaged, I would say, especially with the paralysis as well as the muscle, tendon, ligament, bone problems. And when I would do physical therapy, they didn't really focus on the arms too much. And so again, I like doing arm strength training. And so as I would be doing warm ups and stuff, I would go grab the little dumbbells and be laying on, um, I forget what we called it. It was like a lay down slash sit down squatting machine. So you could reduce the amount of pressure that you're actually or amount of weight that you're actually squatting with. And as I would lay there, I would do all sorts of, you know, butterflies, bench presses, curls, anything I could think of. And I found that did really help and made me feel better. I enjoyed doing it. It was different, kind of took the, took my mind off of my legs because they didn't like to do things too much sometimes, but I, I didn't really keep up with it as much, which now I'm getting into it a little bit more because I'm having to scoot around some. And this fixator weighs approximately probably like seven-ish pounds. And so now I'm having to lift that on my leg whenever I try to walk with it. So trying to get back into that aspect of it. I know it's something I need to do more of, but a lot of times I get stuck in the, I just need to get to work or just need to get places and I don't have time. So now it's, it's a lot about making that mental, I have to make time for my physical health or else I'm not going to be any good at the rest of my health. So they say when uh, you fall off the horse, you need to get back on the horse, right? So how do you feel about flying and being in airplanes? Is there is there something that you have a fear of? No, I love flying. I, I'm a firm believer that if you really love something, nothing's going to keep you from doing it. I was in the ICU maybe 
three to four days after the accident. And this is one of the memories I have from all that fog was there was one of the hospital counselors came in and he's at the end of my bed. And my parents are talking about trying to get me a medevac to get me closer to where they are because I'm up in Alaska. My parents are from Texas and I live in Virginia. So they're trying to get me home to Texas so they can take care of me. And he said, I don't know if that's a good idea. She was just in a plane crash. She's probably going to have severe PTSD and never want to get in a plane again. And I woke up and I just mumbled out. I was just like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) And the poor guy was probably like, (laughs) but I was like, what makes you think? Like, yes, it was a tragedy. And it was a severe loss of my friend, her aunt and uncle, as well as a lot of physical loss for me. But that's something that I love. And it did take my first flight was a little rough because as we came into land, it was bumpy. It was cloudy. It was a lot like the day that we crashed into a mountain, except for I knew this time it was controlled and we were coming into land. It was just a normal landing. And I had to just close my eyes, take deep breaths and pray and go, this is something you're going to have to go through. And every once in a while, I will still get that. I'll get that. I can't see and it's bumpy and I know the ground is out there somewhere and I just have to close my eyes and take a deep breath and pray and calm myself down and then distract myself sometimes if that doesn't work out. Watch a movie or crank up some music or something like that. But no, flying, I love flying. I don't know if I'm ever going to get back to personally piloting a plane again because of my ankles. You have to use your ankles for brakes and rudder. So I don't want to accidentally ground loop a plane just by not having my ankles work. Ground loop is when the tail of the plane whips around the front of the plane. So you don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. So what's next for you? Where What's your dream from here with all that amazing and uh, story of hope and, and overcoming challenges? Is your dream to inspire uh, people to... Uh, yeah, definitely. Now, I, I'd love to share my story because a lot of people, when they hear it, they go, I could never do that. I don't know how you did it. If I was in that situation, I would just curl up in a ball and die. And I want to tell them, no, there's more to you than that. Like you can't short sell yourself or they'll say, I don't know, yours is just so much worse than mine. I had a a patient in inpatient therapy that said, well, I don't know how you do it. And I was like, well, why are you here? Because you're obviously here for a reason. And he said, well, my wife passed away on our anniversary, our 40th anniversary. She passed away. And the next day I had a severe stroke. And so now I'm here recovering from the stroke. And I was just like, And you think that somehow mine is worse than yours? I I couldn't imagine, you know, losing my husband of 40 years and then having a stroke the next day. Like, and I just told him, no, your, your pain is real. It's valid. It's what you're going through right now and what you need to fight through. You can't take on the pain of my accident or some other terrible tragedy that you hear in the news. You can't take on that pain because that's not yours to take on. You, we have what God gave us and that's the struggle and the trial that we need to go through. And so I like to encourage people to, you look at other stories, see how people have come through, take inspiration from that, but then don't take on that pain. Take on the skills, the joys, the, the tips and tricks, and then apply them to your own life. But don't let that that agony sink in because it's not 
what you were for. And a lot of times people like do that. Like I'll read stories and I'll be sobbing my eyes out at the story and then I'll go, okay, well, probably don't let, don't get too deep down this rabbit hole, Mm -hmm. but I love sharing my story. And so my goal is to speak, get out there and share my story and share these tips and tricks that I've, I've learned before the accident so that if anyone else is ever in any sort of situation similar to mine or even remotely related to mine, they'll be able to say, you know what? Joy went through something like this. And I remember her story. She did this and it felt this way, or someone said this and it helped. And that's what I would, I would love to be able to share that with people to say, Hey, the impossible is not necessarily impossible. And you can still be optimistic while staying grounded. Like you can still have this positive perspective while keeping an eye on the facts, because I do, I do unfortunately have a very good firm grasp of the facts of my life. Like I'm not going to be able to run around. I can't dance the way that I used to be able to dance before, but that's not going to change who I am. Beautiful. So where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on my website. It's joycooperpilot.com. Just kind of how it so- sounds. Uh, Cooper spelled C-O-O-P-E-R, uh, joycooperpilot.com. And yeah, send me a message. You can find I have all sorts of information, bios, stories. I wrote my book. It's called Flying, Falling, and Fighting, a pilot's memoir. I'm actually working on a full book that was part of a collaboration. So that's on there. I'm working on my full memoir now that I'm laid up on medical leave. And it'll have all sorts of fun National Guard stories and hospital stories. So I'm really looking forward to writing it. But you can find all sorts of information there and send me a note, ask questions, all of the above. Do you have three takeaways that you can uh, tell us? I do. So the first thing is what I mentioned just a little bit ago of being grounded in optimism. So grounded optimism, I like to look at as having a positive outlook but a practical perspective. So keeping your mind positive on the outlook of your whole life, but don't lose sight of the facts. Like I could say, oh, well, I want to go dance in a competition again. I could maybe dance in a paraplegic competition again, but it's not going to be the same. And so by setting my hopes on that, I'm going to just set myself up for failure. So having that grounded optimism to where you have a very clear view of the facts but you also are keeping that positive outlook. The second one I believe was becoming unlimited and that becomes figuring out what defines limited. So I like to consider that I'm unlimited even though I do have physical limitations, but the physical limitations that I have are not going to change the limits that I put in my mind. It's not gonna change the fact that I said, you know what, I wanna take a trip by myself. And I flew myself down to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico just to prove that I could do it. And I did, and it was great fun. I also learned a few things that I should probably not do, but becoming unlimited really is about defining what limits you. Like what are the facts that the complete unchangeables, like my leg is fixed at a right angle. It maybe moves 10 degrees. So that is an unchangeable. I'm never gonna be able to change it, but how can I work around that? Can I get prosthetics? Can I get orthotics? Can I? take things a little bit slower, a little bit different angle. That's how you become unlimited is by learning to work around those unchangeable things in your life and not set limits for yourself. Set goals, set aspirations, like always be trying to find another 
another goal, something else that you can reach. And the third one was plan for weaknesses. So plan for something that might come up in your life. I'm not saying always look around your shoulder for if a weakness is going to come up and scare you out of the blue. It might, but plan for the things that you know could be a weakness. Child care, getting healthy meals at work. I don't move super fast, so I can walk. I can't run. Sometimes I can walk a little bit faster than not. And sometimes it takes me forever to get my shoes on, which I know sounds like a dorky, dumb little thing. But I realized that's going to take me a little bit longer. And I could push and I could rush to try to make my meals before I go to work. But sometimes I go, you know what? If I want to actually eat healthy, get to work on time, make my goals, I need to order DoorDash. And I know it's, it might sound like another weakness. You're giving into your weakness. But it's this morning when I woke up, this is not working. I'm not going to be able to reach my goals. I need to call in the big guns. And that way I can still meet my goals. I can still eat healthy. I can still have everything that I need to do because I planned for my shoes not going on. Um, my toe likes to curl under and then I step on it and it doesn't feel great. So I have to try over and over again until it works. But those are rare situations. But planning for whatever the weakness is, you know, kid wakes up sick. Now what are you going to do? What What can you maybe come up with a plan for if this isn't going right, how can I still reach my goals? How can I still have a successful day and address the weakness? So those are my three tips to being resilient. I love those tips. It's so valuable uh, to get rid of the excuses. I have no time. I can't do this. Oh, yeah. It's just beautiful. Wow, what a, what a story and what a, what an inspiration you are. Uh, Steve, do you have any last words? Well, I hear you have a free gift for our guests. Of course. Yeah, so my free gift, uh, remember the, the story, the collaboration book I told you guys about before? I actually have my chapter of that book that is a free download that anyone can download for free. It's at the uh, link joycooperpilot.com slash story. And that'll take you directly to the chapter that I wrote that has a very, it's like a short story chapter of my story and some tips and tricks on recovering and my journey to recovery. You're an electrifying speaker. Okay. So I was just sitting back and actually enjoying the essence of your conversation and the three tips that you actually gave to incorporate in one's life should things come up or not come up. So, uh, You've been an amazing guest. It's hard to tell that you've ever had any stress in your life because you're... Uh, well, if it helps, my wheelchair is right here. You just can't see it. Your conversation is so uh, detailed, specifically detailed, and it ties into the incredible person you are. And when you have the spoken word, uh, I'm hearing everything that you're talking about very clearly and precisely. Mm -hmm. There's no hidden agenda. There's no hidden tricks. Nope. It's life. So it's been a joy to hear you speak this. I think you'd be incredible as a speaker on stage to anybody that's looking for somebody spectacular and wants to draw the attention of the audience. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That's awesome. Beautiful. 
So that was another amazing episode of the Dr. Fitness USA's show. Everybody go find Joy Cooper at her website, get her gift. So thank you again. It's been an honor. And until next time, I am Batista, host of the Dr. Fitness USA's show with Stephen Percy, also known as Dr. Fitness USA as my co-host. Thank you and goodbye.